Hi, I'm Julie Morgenstern, and welcome to Time to Parent, the podcast that will give you more time, less guilt, and deeper joy. I'm excited to share this week a live recording I did a few weeks ago at Peninsula Parent in San Mateo, California. And this was a group of parents from five different schools in the area with kids from preschoolers through high school. And this was my evening speaking to them. This is the speech that I give when I speak at parent teachers associations and even when I speak at corporations and any any company that brings me in to speak about how to manage your time at work and in your family life. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I think you're going to really learn a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Hello, everybody. The above average parents. It's so true. We're just going to take your good game and just raise it a tiny notch. Um, So imagine someone offered you a job with a huge title and massive expectations, and uh, you had no experience, you'd never done that job before, and they would not give you a job description. Oh, oh, and the job changes dramatically every two to three years. So you have that job, right? Yes, exactly. Parents have been operating that way for generations. Parenting is inarguably the biggest job in the world, the most challenging job in the world, the noblest job in the world, and the most ambiguous job in the world. And everyone just tells you, follow your instincts, you'll be a natural, you know your kid better than anybody else, right? You'll figure it out. I know that when my daughter was born, and actually for the entire time I was raising her, I was desperate for an instruction manual. I just want an instruction manual. How am I supposed to divide my time? I actually wished my parents had had a manual. Um, And in my 30 years as an organizing and a time management expert, and I have worked with parents of every family configuration, kids from, you know, babies through school age, through high school and college and beyond, men and women, every age, there's always the same theme. There's There's actually two themes. One is everybody who hires my company to organize them whether it is at home or at work with their time or their space, no matter what realm of life they want help with organizing, they have the exact same motivation, which is they want to get organized in some way to create the space for quality time with their kids and for themselves. Always the same motivation, no matter what it is. And I just kept hearing have always heard the same themes, which is how do I, div- how do I like, choose between these competing priorities? Clients are like, how do I make time to be there for my kids without losing myself in the process? How do I choose between spending time with my spouse or getting back on the computer and getting some more work done at night? How do I choose between spending time with my friends or my extended family? And what no one ever talks about really never talks about is, and I did not realize, even as a parent, I did not realize till I was writing this book and really contemplating this topic. What no one ever talks about is that the years that we are raising our children happen to be the prime of our own adult development years. Think about it. The years we're raising our kids, child-rearing years, we are building and establishing careers, We're developing adult love relationships with a significant other and a circle of adult friends, kind of the peak of our earning capacity, and we're discovering who we are as humans simultaneously. It's never talked about. And one thing that I learned for sure as a time management expert is that job ambiguity in any position, in any job, in any industry, in any realm, job ambiguity in any position is a recipe for overwork 
inefficiency and insecurity, right? And I'm seeing heads nodding. If you don't know what your job is, any job feels infinite, right? How do you know when your job is done? Just goes on and on and on. How do you know you're done for the day and you did a good job if there's no job description? So I thought, I'm going to do it. I am going to be the first person who dared to write the instruction manual that parents have been craving for generations. And I did the research. So I'm a time management and an organizing expert. I'm not a parenting expert. And I thought, I can't advise parents on how to divide their time um, if I don't know what the experts say about what kids need. So I did the research, and I, and, and I actually spent eight years doing research, way beyond every other book that I've ever written was just my field experience and anecdotes and strategies. This one, I went deep into the science. And I had one question, which was, how much time and attention do kids need to feel loved and secure? Because I think if we know the answer to that, we can sort of organize the rest of our time. It's like, oh, I know I did my job. I did pretty good today. Um, and I, and I, I spoke to, I read study, I, I spoke to dozens and dozens of experts, all the leading experts in every discipline, psychiatry, psychology, education, uh, medicine, pediatrics, sociology, economics. Um, I read so many, so, thousands of pages of studies. I read on, on what humans need, like the 70 years of human development research. I read, and I, this is the only book that I've done a true, that sort of external research since uh, I was in college. So I really got lost in the stacks, and it was really fun, but I read the studies, and then I read all the studies and the bibliography of every study. I read one study, it was like 75 pages, and then I got to the end and I realized it was just a description of the methodology used for another study. It's like, oh my God. Um, and when I spoke to experts, I tell you it was hard to find the answer. Like most experts would be a little bit ambiguous. They're like, well, it depends. Depends on the kid. It depends on the situation. Depends on the family. And I was like, that doesn't help us. Ambiguity doesn't help. We need the edges. Just give us the edges. So I dug and dug and dug, and I found the answer. And it's surprisingly liberating. So what children need to thrive, to feel loved and secure, is short bursts of 5 to 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes top at a time, of truly undivided attention delivered consistently. Short bursts of truly undivided attention delivered consistently. Not big blocks of time delivered occasionally or erratically. So let's think about what that means. So first of all, kids have short attention spans. And most experts say to calculate about a minute for each age of life. So think about that. A one-year-old has a one minute of attention span before their eyes kind of drift off to the next shiny object. And a five-year-old, if you're talking really one-on-one -on -one with a five-year-old trying to keep their attention, you got about five minutes before they run off, right? And a 15-year-old, a serious conversation, 15 minutes. So short bursts, that's kind of the way you have to think about it. But reliably, and that means built into the fabric of their routine. So if you think about at each reconnection point you have with your child in the day, at each transition, each reconnection, when they first wake up, when they send them off to school, when you get home from work or they get home from school, whichever comes first, dinner, bedtime. If each one of those moments starts with true undivided attention focused on them, how they're doing, what just happened, how do you sleep, what happened today, etc. Then, together but apart time is also really enriching and valuable, just as valuable, right? So you have that connection at the end of the day, not, and I'll tell you, I mean, I was a single mom from the time my daughter was three, 
And you know, there were many times when I walked through the door and I was like, why is this house a mess? And why didn't you do your homework yet? And da, 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 da. So it's like starting with the connection and then to get together but a part-time is great. And then big blocks of time, occasionally, when you can have them happen, can make memories, can be wonderful. But the foundation is built into the fabric of the day. And if you're a working parent, you can also set your alarm for when your kid gets out of school at that transition and just check in for five or six or seven minutes, that short. And that's what kids thrive on. Um, so what I think is great about that is that, and I coach parents, and almost every working parent that I have ever, ever worked with who feels, I don't know if I'm spending enough time with my kids, I don't feel connected enough, I don't know. They're like, should I work less? And the answer, at least in my almost 30 years, typically is you don't have to work less. It's not about adding time, it's about changing the nature of the time you are already spending with your kids. It's not about adding, just change the nature. It's very powerful and very liberating. And that's available to all of us. Like every parent, you could be a parent working two jobs, night shifts, whatever those points are, if it's reliable, that's what kids thrive on. The other thing is, is which I found quite profound, was that as I was reading all these studies, the f science is exploding with discovery on how valuable that kind of reliable connections are to human development. And they've discovered it's as essential to human development as food and sunshine. So let me just read a little bit about that. It's really kind of thrilling. So the link between undivided attention and happy, healthy kids. Beyond food, shelter, education, discipline, and values, kids need to feel loved and listened to in order to thrive. Kids want to know they matter, and you communicate that very directly through the gift of time and attention. When kids believe they are worthy, they have the confidence to go out and make the most of themselves. They do better academically, emotionally, and socially, and are less prone to risky or self-destructive behaviors, especially as they move through adolescence. They are far more resilient in facing life's challenges. Even the worst life situations are better when supported by a warm, nurturing parent or caretaker. Researchers at the Harvard Center on the Developing Child explain that children experience their world as an environment of relationships. Just think about that. It makes sense. The treatment we receive from our parents and other caregivers influences how we interact with the world and in all of our relationships. Sensitive, responsive, reliable caretaking leads to the development of self-esteem and social competence, which intuitively makes sense. Of course, you're going to feel more self-confident, but here's where it gets really interesting. It also leads to the development of executive function and resilience. So executive function is the brain, is a part of the brain that is involved in organization and time management and planning and breaking big projects down and all of that stuff which we all need through school and life. And that nurturing caregiving actually affects the architecture of the brain. Um, it also, and this is the one that really blew my mind, it buffers against, it inoculates us against adult onset chronic illness. So the study that really moved me the most and excited me the most is that, so children raised in lower socioeconomic backgrounds are known to be predisposed to lifelong chronic illnesses because of things like high blood pressure and autoimmune disorders and pro-inflammatory conditions, diabetes, because of the wear and tear on the body of that upbringing. But there was a series of very landmark studies by uh, these British Columbia psychologists, Gregory Miller and Edith Chen. 
And they did longevity studies of this population, several, from childhood following people all the way through adulthood. And 45% of that population that they studied, they were very large studies, um, were symptom-free, never developed any of these autoimmune or inflammatory disorders. And the one and only thing that that 45% in each study group had in common was they each had one sensitive, nurturing caretaker in their childhood. That's it. It's powerful. It's powerful. So I was originally just going to write this book about how to create the space for quality time and what does that look like and how do you connect. And I actually sold the book on that. I did the proposal, I submitted to the publisher, the publisher said, yeah, that sounds great. And then I started to write the book and I was working on the book and doing all this research and I was swimming one day and swimming is kind of where I get into my like meditative zone, all my thoughts coalesce. And I got out of the pool and I was thinking about the book and I was like, I cannot write a book for parents that is only about quality time because there are many other kinds of time a parent has to spend in order to raise their kids. And it's not gonna be helpful because then parents are gonna be like, yeah, that sounds great. What about all this other stuff I have to do? So I started to think, what are all the kinds of time a parent has to spend and allocate and divide their time between? And it all just sort of coalesced with amazing clarity and simplicity. So I got it. The job description for the full span of the parenting years. You ready? Here is a very simple and logical and actually complete way to think about organizing your time from cradle to college, the whole time. So first, divide the job into two parts, raising a human and being a human. And then each of those have four components. So, Raising a human, we have to divide our time as parents to raise happy, healthy, self-confident children. We have to spend, divide our time between providing. We have to provide for our kids, right? That usually requires work and making money and managing money to pay for the things that kids need. We need to arrange the logistics of our kids' lives. Where are they gonna go to school? How are they gonna get there? What are they gonna have for lunch? What are they doing after school? What are we having for dinner? What happens on the weekends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have to relate to our kids. We have to spend time connecting and getting to know them for the unique individuals that they are. That's what we're talking about, that connecting time. And we have to teach our kids. We have to teach our kids values and life skills so they can be successful out in the world. So that's four things, provide, arrange, relate, teach. That happens to spell a very handy acronym, P-A-R-T, as in doing your part for another person. So as parents, we are responsible for the well-being of our kids, but we're also responsible for our own well-being. And when you become a parent, our judgment about that seems to get kind of compromised. (laughs) But to be a happy, healthy, successful, fulfilled adult, we also need to divide our time between four things. So we have to spend time on sleep, right, so that we can actually function, so that we are patient, so that we can think clearly and we're efficient, and we know sleep is often, if not always, compromised as a parent from babyhood. And if you guys have teenagers, it starts to get hard again because your kids are out late, you have to stay up late. You're, it's just, you're constantly battling sleep, but we have to sleep in order to function well and to be good parents. Um, we have to spend time on exercise, fitness, movement, so that our bodies, we feel fit and we have the energy and the health to keep up with our kids and just feel confident. Also, another thing that's very easy to neglect when you're a parent, and then you don't feel as good about yourself. I remember, like, I mean, as a single parent, 
you know, my exercise routine went out the window so often, and then I would like, I didn't want to show up for a parent-teacher's night because I was feeling kind of bloated. Like, I didn't feel like I looked that good, you know? Like, when you feel, when you're exercising and really fit and connecting to yourself, you're much more likely to, like, really get out there and be engaged. We have to spend time on love, right? Adult relationships. If you're married with your significant other, with your circle of friends, with your extended family, adult to adult relationships nurture us. And when we are nurtured, we are in a much better, stronger position to nurture another. And if you're operating on empty there, or feeling really isolated, it's really hard to nurture your kids. It just, it's just harder. So that's love. And then we have to spend time on fun. And so many of the parents that I coach are like, they get to fun after all the kids go off to college. That's where they have that parked. Um, but you can't, you can't, what happens when you separate yourself from fun? And what is fun? Any one of these things you can have fun doing. But what fun, I define fun as any of the passions or hobbies or things that you do that when you do them, you feel like you. This is me. When I play music or when I do this thing or I do art or I'm in the garden, or I'm anything that makes you feel like you. And again, if you are trying to raise other human beings and help them become their unique selves, it's a much easier thing to do when you feel like you. You can recognize an individual when you're nurturing your own individuality. So that's it. Sleep, exercise, love, fun. Also, spells a very handy acronym, self, as in fueling yourself. So that's it. Raising and being four things, and that's it. That actually encapsulates everything you need to juggle your time between. But if you look at them, they all require kind of different skills. They require different mindsets, different quantities of times. We're better at some and not so good at others. And, but that's the edges, by the way, right? You're not trying to juggle between an infinite number of things. It's not an endless job. It's not two things. It's eight. Here's where it gets really, really interesting. When you zoom in on our relationship to these two, these eight quadrants and these four, these two parts, let's look at the way we tend to relate to these things. So as parents, I think we feel that time spent on any one of those counts as all time in as a parent. That's our parenting time. No matter which of those four we're spending it on, no matter what our strengths are, whatever, that's all time in. But kids experience these four kinds of time very differently. And if you ever have wondered, which I always have wondered, how do you get these situations where parents will say, I sacrificed my entire life for my kids. And kids are like, my parents were never there for me. How does that happen? Here's how it happens. Because some of the things, some of these four are visible to our kids and some are invisible. And some take place in the adult world and some play, take place in the child's world. So take a look at that. Provide, working, making, managing money can take a huge amount of time, but that time is largely invisible to your kids and it's taking place in the adult world. They don't see you. It's in the adult world, has nothing really to do with their lives, right? It affects them, we know, but arrange the logistics is a huge, unbelievably time-consuming and complicated endeavor. Anybody who tries to tackle it knows or is, keeps getting surprised, why is this so hard? This should be easier. But actually, arrange, I'm a professional organizer. And I can tell you that organizing for one person is hard enough. 
organizing for a multi-person household with different personalities, different relationships to stuff, different schedules, then trying to synchronize those schedules is such advanced organizing skills. No mortal should ever be tasked with having to do that. <laughs> Let alone it all falls kind of on the shoulders of one person or what really happens in households is everybody just sort of, no one talks about it, everybody gravitates toward the thing that they notice. No one really talks about all the different details and then people don't get credit for what they are doing. They do get blamed for what they didn't do. And this has to be a family effort. And we'll talk more about that. But that is largely, the time you spend on that arranging is largely invisible to your kids, right? Even though it's for them, it's taking place in their world, it's invisible, you're doing it at night, on the weekends, during your work day, you're, they don't see it. Relate and teach are visible to your kids. They see that because it's happening in interaction with them. But they're different in a way that I think surprises us all. Because I think it's really easy when you're dealing with kids, when you're raising kids, to kind of conflate and merge teach and relate, right? And you almost feel very often like every minute you spend with your kid, you should be teaching them and guiding them and helping them be better people and do well in the world. However, it feels very different to kids. So teach, when you're teaching kids, it's visible, but you're bringing them into the adult world, teaching them things that are gonna help them succeed out in the world. When you're relating, you're entering your child's world. So here's a way to think about it. When you teach, your child is the student of you. When you relate, you enter your child's world and you become the student of your child. Very different. Feels very different on the receiving end. I worked with one of my clients who I've a professional couple. Mostly I was coaching uh, for a long time the woman who's a, an executive out here in California, actually. And she and her husband were incredibly involved parents with two kids, and things were going, they had really gotten to a good, stable place while their kids were kind of in that school age, five to 10 years old. And then their daughter kind of inched up and she was about 12. And things started to get really difficult. And as her daughter was dealing with a lot of adolescent angst, which is very real and has gotten worse with the internet and social media, historically high uh, adolescent angst, um, they were not, like, all the quality time that they were trying to have as a family was just fall apart. So they were trying to be there, but the quality just wasn't there. And we, I, I, I showed her this chart. And just on her own, I was, and she said, should I cut back on my work hours? That was her big question. She just was really worried. And I said, well, let's look at where time is going. And I did this thing, and she looked at it, and she went, oh, oh my God. Every minute that my husband and I spend with our daughter, out of love, as we see her struggling and suffering and questioning herself, and we're trying to coach her and mentor her and teach her, and it's just, she can't, it's too much pressure. And so all she and her husband did was change their awareness, and they spent more like 75 or 80% of their time just relating, entering their daughter's world, not trying to teach her anything, but just like, you want to do this dumb game, we'll do this dumb game. Whatever you want to, like just connect and stop trying to make everything a teachable moment. And just by releasing that pressure, their daughter was delighted to spend time with the family. She just didn't want to always be under the teaching gun. So it's just a very interesting, and I, I'll tell you, I learned a lot about that. I mean, as a parent, I, you know, teaching I was actually very intimidated by. I just never really wanted to come off too heavy-handed, and I, I was, like, not, not so great at the teaching. Um, I, I felt a little bit better in the relate category. But, but what I learned from the experts and everything I read and every person I talked to is that relate first, teach second. Relate 
creates the conditions for teach. And if you think about it, it's true for all of us, right? We're ready to listen if someone first enters our world and connects to us, and then we'll sort of follow them, because you get me. So anyway, it's a very interesting. So those are the four quadrants, and that's... So we have to make sure that we spend time in all of them, because it's not all time in from our kids' perspective. The good news is relate and teach can be done in these short bursts. Now, when it comes to our self, parents basically believe... I remember when my daughter was born, how many times people said to me, remember to take care of yourself too. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, first of all, no. Like, I'm a parent, and I'm going to sacrifice myself very nobly for my child. Like, that felt like the right thing and the good and noble thing to do. Secondly, where am I going to get the time to take care of myself? you got to be kidding me. So, and I do think as parents, if we get any time for ourselves, we feel we have to choose one of these four. You don't get all of them, right? But in fact, we know each one has its own function. Sleep has a different value than exercise, than love, and fun. And if any one of these fall apart, our kids pay for it in time and attention, actually. Right? We don't have the time, the attention, we're distracted, we're and we're, we're not there. But there's two things that keep us from spending time on self, I think. One is guilt, that guilt, that societal sort of generational belief system. And the other is our approach. So here's the aha. I think once we become parents, and pretty much for the duration, we never adjust our approach to self-care from the way we were able to do it before we had kids, which can be at least for the first 25 or 30 years of your life. So there's a pattern set. So we think of exercise as that's 60 minutes three times a week, plus travel to the gym and back, and that's 90 minutes three times a week. Love, long date nights, hanging out with your friends, drinking a bottle of wine for hours and hours, fun is hobbies. You could spend all day on your hobbies, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. That's the way we think of self-care, and we never make the adjustment. Once you become a parent, maintaining those long blocks of time for self-care, you can't do it. So then you don't do it at all. But the key is to just change your approach. And the, and the solution is, turns out to be the same thing as how we nurture our kids, which is in short bursts delivered consistently. And learning to do self-care, any one of these, in 20 minutes or less, sleep aside, we know you still need your seven or eight hours of sleep. But if you didn't get enough sleep, rest in 20 minutes or less throughout the day. Exercise. I have a podcast connected to the book, which is amazing, fun. I love it if you're a podcaster. You, like, you come listen. And also, you can submit your questions. Uh, and I do a lot of live coaching. And one of the parents that I just coached uh, on this episode on exercise was a mom who was such a devoted exercise fitness person that before she had kids, she used to take like 20 classes a month. She was hardcore, loved it, energized her. And once she had kids, she just could, you know, maybe one class a month. And then it was like, why bother? And she was just didn't feel like herself. And she just wasn't happy. And she just couldn't. So we were talking about it. I said, well, why do you have to do like these whole classes? Short burst exercise, like high-intensity interval training, the 10-minute workout, the seven-minute workout, there are dozens and dozens of these on the internet that you can download in any, any configuration you like, has been scientifically proven to be as impactful, if not more, than 90 minutes three times a week. And you can do that from home. So that's what she did. She like got some eight-minute workout. She set it up in her living room. Her stuff was right there, and in the evening, she could just always fit in her eight-minute workout. So that's short burst. Love. I'm going to throw this one at you, and then just to give you a feel for this. So we all know, and we did our own survey also uh, of parents of where they were spending enough time, not enough time, or just the right amount of time, or too much. And 98% of the parents who we surveyed when I was writing the book knew and said, we are not spending enough time on our marriage, on our love relationship. We know we should, but we just aren't. 
So it's huge. It just gets sacrificed. But I interviewed dozens of parents and couples, and the couples who had the strongest marriages while raising kids, um, and you could just tell they were just connected as a couple in addition to being co-parents. They seemed to be reporting to me the same basic behaviors, and they took me by surprise because hashtag divorced when my daughter was three. Like, I did not know any of these tricks. Here's what almost all of them did some version of the following three activities. Number one is they all talked about some habit of daily glue. And that daily glue took the form of three to five times a day during the work day or the school day while these couples were apart. Three to five times a day, they checked in with each other. Text, quick call, quick email. How was your commute? How'd the meeting go? What do you have for lunch? What's happening with the kids? Just quick, 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 three to five times a day. What that did is it gave them a lot less to catch up on at night. So they already actually knew what was going on. They didn't sort of like innocently drift apart because it was never enough time to catch up. They stayed connected. Then they tended to talk about doing a lot of the logistics of a range via email rather than in person. Oh, can you pick this up on the way home? Can you? So even in those check-in points, that was not about a range. It was what's going on in your day. Email for logistics, by and large. And then the limited amount of time that they had together. Might have been 30 minutes after the kids were in bed, 20 minutes, whatever it was, they were able to just dedicate that to connecting to each other. That is short bursts of truly undivided attention of no more than 20 minutes delivered consistently to nurture a marriage, to nurture yourself, to, to be who you are. So that's the key, I think, to self-care. Get over the guilt, because it's a way to be a better parent and think short bursts. So that is that. So. Now you can look at this little job description and you're probably like thinking, uh-oh, I missed a few of those. I know I did. Um, and we all tend to gravitate toward the things that we're good at um, and away from the things where we feel less confident or less entitled. And it also changes. It changes throughout the course of raising our kids. It changes depending on the age of your kids. It changes depending on what's going on with work, what's going on for you personally, and what life throws at you. So in the book, there's a self-assessment that you can take, and it's also online, which you can go to my website and actually take an online version of this self-assessment. It'll give you a snapshot of, in this moment, what's your balance? Where are you spending too much time, not enough time, or just the right amount of time? And then you can just like any job description go, oh, I got to contain this. I'm spending too much time here. I need to like bone up over here and make a few adjustments. And as we've taken, uh, gotten more and more people have been taking the self-assessment, some patterns have emerged. So I want to share some of those with you. Very interesting. There's some, especially with part. The truth is, the trend is self tends to be lower, and time spent on self tends to be lower, and time spent on part higher. But within part, there are these patterns of where some people are like really good at two, they spend a lot of time on two, not so much on the other two. So here are six really common profiles. So one is people who are really high on provide, working really good at provide, and teaching. This is almost like an old-fashioned father's knows best character. It's the dad, the patriarch. It couldn't be a mom, but works and then comes home and kids sit around. I'm going to tell you the ways of the world. <laughs> and uh, not so much on a range, not doing anything around organizing the house or making things run smoothly, and not a whole lot of relate. It's listen to me, I'm going to teach you the wise ways. And then there's sort of the counterpart, which is high on a range. This might have been the wife of, this was June Cleaver, right? Although it could also be a guy today. Um, 
high on a range, making the house work and operate and really good at relating and connecting with the kids, but not so much on the discipline, probably not working. Call that the hearth maker or June Cleaver. This, is, this next one is dominating in the, in the, in the, uh, statistically of rising to the top as the number one profile in our society right now. It's what I call responsible doer really high on provide, really good on arrange, not so much on relate and teach. Time is going to those. This is somebody who is a get it done person. Good with lists, good with getting things done, get it done, get it done, got stuff operating, but really can't slow down to the speed of kids. It's like slowing down to relate or teach is like how much is not getting done right now. I've got stuff to do. <laughs> the responsible doer. The counterpart is high relate, high teach. I call it the Mary Poppins. What's so good with kids, just great with kids, relating and teaching and flowing back and forth, but like the kids are eating peanut butter and jelly like seven times a day. The house is a mess, but we are having a great time. We are connected. What's really funny about the Mary Poppins is that it's not even in the book. That emerged once the book came out and people were taking it because those people never call me. <laughs> I didn't know they existed, but they do. And by the way, that's a pretty, that's like the third highest uh, profile that's emerged. I was like, I didn't even know those people existed. Okay. Then there's a higher range, high teach. I've had a lot of clients like this. I've had a lot of stay at home moms who fall into this who are really good and really want to have that house running beautifully and perfectly and perfect meals and organic everything and we're reusing the bones from the chicken Friday night for the bone broth and then there's no waste and then the parsley stems are chopped up and put in the smoothies and it's a lot of work and they're really devoted to teaching their kids life skills so that their kids have those skills and I actually think a lot of these clients grew up without those life skills of organizing and they're going to master it and they're going to empower their kids to have it. But it's all work and no play and they don't have the time to relax. So they need to, you know, tweak that and that's what we do is like, okay, let's ease up on the teach, add a little more relate. And then there's the high provide, high relate. This is what I call the best friend. So it's work hard, play hard. You're off working, Parents off working, when they come home, it is, we are gonna have a good time, but I'm not gonna discipline, I am not teaching anything. That is it. That's actually who I was, by the way. And I tested this with my daughter, who's now grown, and I was like, what do you think I was? She was like, high provide, high relate, but like, I, the organizer, did forget to pick her up a couple times. I got so involved in my work that I like missed pickup. And honestly, I didn't cook. I did not cook. I was, a, from the time I became a single parent, I started my business and I worked very hard on the business. I played with her. I didn't cook. I cooked once a year for her on her birthday. Chocolate chip pancakes. Uh, in whole wheat chocolate chip pancakes. <laughs> in the shape of her letters of her name. And as I said, I was like, I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to be a disciplinarian. I tried to avoid that at all costs. So this, so can you see yourself up here? And can you see maybe your spouse up here? And is there a, like maybe a mirror thingy going on? Can you see your parents up there? Does that explain your childhood a little bit more? Like, oh, okay. That's what was going on there. So the good news is no matter how old your kids are, whether they are six or eight or 11 or 15 or 22, whether you were really high responsible doer, providing and arranging and like, I thought I was doing everything, I was a great job and you were missing the bottom two, no matter what patterns have been set, it is never too late to hit reset, ever in the raising of kids. And Science actually tells us that. Human nature tells us that, but science does. And, and um, I want to read this because I think 
this was extremely liberating. And I think it's the thing that scares parents the most. It's like, oh, I missed something. No. Yes, you may have, and yes, it's okay. So listen to this. You may have heard that 90% of who we become as adults is the result of what happens in the first seven years of life. Talk about pressure. It would be a pretty cruel joke of nature if the greatest impact you have as a parent is when you are least experienced. Luckily, recent science has found that while the early years do matter very much, the later years do too. Brain plasticity, and this is a recent scientific discovery, like last 10 years recent. Brain plasticity continues throughout life. Our neural circuitry and brain architecture are able to grow and develop well into adulthood. So we all make mistakes as parents, but kids are forgiving and they're resilient. The heart wants to connect. Think about it. Even as adults, we still feel the positive effects of time and attention from the people who matter to us, don't we? If somebody gives you 15 minutes of undivided attention, you feel like better. You feel like you matter. That's all we all want. We all just want to be seen and listened to. So I wrote this book to be what, what to expect when you're expecting is to pregnancy for the entire ride of the child-rearing years from cradle to college. It does not have to be read cover to cover. You have to read the first two parts. You actually, heard, that's what I talked about here, the basic principles, and the rest is just a manual. You dip in and out on a spot problem solving basis, like things were going well, but I'm not sleeping anymore, or my kid's not sleeping, or I used to know how to talk to my kid and now they won't give me the time of day. Um, or you hit some kind of parenting plateau where your kid changed and you didn't and you need to catch up. And in every one of the sort of quadrant chapters, there's an age by age guide, which I, it was one of the hardest things that I had to do in this book was to cover so much ground and select what do I include, and because you can imagine any one of these topics could be dozens of books, right? And I chose the things that were the most practical that you could just go in and get an answer, but how do I apply it age by age? Because it changes, and we, don't, we can't all relate to kids at every age. So in the, in the chapter on relate, which when we think about it, that was what the book was all gonna be, but I talk about four different relate activities. To enter your child's world, there's four kinds of activities to do, to enter their world. You can talk to them, you can play with them, you can read to them, by the way, all the way through teenagerdom and up, studies show, even, even teenagers really like to be read to or read out loud stories, and you can share adventures. But I know talking to kids at different ages is really hard, so here's how the age by age guides work. So how do you talk to a infant? This all came from the experts, not my expertise, but I found it for you, okay? So how do you talk, and they talk about serve and return, the kid, that, that babies. So what do you talk to an infant about? Well, follow your, attention, your infant's attention and name the things that captivate them. You just see where their eyes go and go, oh, that's a tree. Trees have bark. They have leaves in the summer. They are bare in the winter, except in California, do the leaves come off? No, okay. If you live in New York, but we don't. We live in California, so you get evergreens. So that's how you talk to an infant. Just follow their attention and talk about what captivates them. School age from five to 10 is the years when for the first time kids are having experiences completely away from you. So how do you talk to them? Have a daily debrief at the end of every day, just a little debrief like, what happened, what was interesting, what was hard, just to, it's that same thing, so you just keep the pulse. And then, teenagers. How many of you have teenagers? Mm-hmm, it's not easy. So, teenagers is really, you know, it's a tough time to stay connected to your kids, particularly if they're boys, but even girls, it's hard. So, here. But they really do want to still connect and you want to still get into their heads and see their world. So engage in philosophical talk. 
So this is a point, these years are a point at which kids are exploring different ways of looking at the world on the road to identity formation. If they are less willing to talk about the details of their own lives, which feels too private and personal and tender, consider discussing the news or, well, maybe not the news, but, <laughs> or engaging in philosophical philosophical talk, approach subjects with curiosity, just different ways of looking into the world, and then they'll happily talk to you because it's not so private and you're still getting in there. So time to parent is, is there for the whole ride. Um, it is a great book to read together with your spouse, your village, your friends, a group to talk about it, to sort of normalize all of this, to share the language. I have a client who just read it, um, and she highlighted the whole thing, and she knew her husband wouldn't read it, so she sat down at dinner and read all the highlighted parts to him. <laughs> so there's lots of ways. So I encourage you to read it together and share it. And here's the thing. This book came out in September. It's really the culmination of almost three decades of work as a professional organizer and a time management expert, working with people all over the world, my own experience as a parent, the, parent in the, the parents in the village, and all the parents I've ever coached. It's the culmination of all of that. And I was so excited to bring this book out. And people are, when they read this book, they're blown away. But I have noticed People are afraid of parenting books. People are afraid to read parenting books because they are afraid it's going to put more on their plate and it's going to make them feel where they are inadequate. This book is going, it is designed to do the opposite. It will not put things on your plate. It's going to take them off. And it's not, it's not going to make you feel worse about your parenting. It's actually going to make you feel Give yourself credit for the things you have been so naturally doing that you didn't even give yourself credit for. You're like, wow, I got that. And then just give you little hacks to just course correct in the areas where I don't have that down so well, right? So this is a book that is designed to give you more time, less guilt, and deeper joy in every one of those eight quadrants. So I thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a lot of fun speaking to these parents, as I always do. Aside from this podcast, live events and speaking to parents at PTAs and at corporations is my favorite way to spread the strategies and techniques and freedoms that Time to Parent can bring to every parent. If you're interested in having me come and speak at your school or at your company, email timetoparent at macmillan.com and we'll definitely get back to you. And I'd love to come and speak to your group too. We'll be back with a regular episode next week. This is Julie Morgenstern, and the Time to Parent podcast, bringing you more time, less guilt, and deeper joy.